I know what you're thinking. That's not Pam. <laughs> yeah, right. As much as I try, uh, I, I, I can't fool you. Uh, well, good morning. All right. Uh, Pam will be up in just a second. I'm, I'm her, uh, her uh, opening act, I guess. <laughs> and uh, the, the reason for that is uh, that we, we actually decided to extend... Um, this series that we've been doing called All Things New. And I know that we had uh, maybe even said in the email that, that it had concluded last week. And I decided to extend that because, uh, one, I, I wanted to uh, kind of give us an opportunity to share uh, a little bit more of the vision and how it impacts uh, some people who are very important uh, to our ministry here. And so just as uh, we've been sharing about how we need new community, we need to be a new people, we have to have a new mantra and, and a new picture of the future that we move into, that picture needs to extend to every one of us. It, it, it needs to be a picture of the future which, which all of us can, can grab hold of and grow into so that we can become the church that God intends for us. And so that's why we're sort of continuing this all things new theme uh, into uh, the message that we're doing today, which is new families, new children. Uh, so Pam will be coming up just a second to kind of uh, lay out uh, some some key things that we're going to be doing uh, for this church and through this church for our children's ministry. But I wanted to kind of get us thinking in the right direction uh, before she did come up and do that. Uh, and so I want to kind of direct us to a, a verse in Matthew 19. Uh, th- and this particular verse comes at the very end of a whole section of Jesus' teaching. Jesus and his disciples had showed up in Capernaum, which is Peter's hometown, and Jesus was teaching kind of throughout the day uh, on a number of different topics, on children and divorce and forgiveness and uh, the lost sheep and all these different themes he's going through. And right about the time he's about to end, where he's about to sort of move from there to the next place, because he's sort of this traveling preacher guy, right? And so he goes to a place, he does his thing, and then he gets up and he moves to the next town, and he teaches again. And so this is sort of late in the day, right? It is the point in time where he's about to to sort of wrap up, and this thing happens. Uh, In verse 13, it says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, But the disciples rebuked them. And so you think of this, late in the day, right? Jesus is probably pretty tired at this point. His voice is probably running out of gas, much like mine has been over the last few weeks. Um, He's probably tired. And and so his disciples kind of step in, right? They feel like it's their role to sort of help Jesus wrap things up, right? Okay, Jesus, you know, it's getting late. We got things to do. It's probably time that we, we, we move from here on to the next place, get you some rest so that we can do this all over again tomorrow. And so right about this time, right, people start bringing their, their children to Jesus. Come and see my child. Because the message that he was telling them about, all the things that he had been saying to them, they're thinking in their minds, uh, well, if this is good for me, it's good for our children too. And they're trying to get their children into Jesus' presence so that he can place his hands on them, probably to heal some of them, probably to bless some of them, before he wraps up his thing and goes on to the next place. And what do the disciples do? They rebuke them, right? 
these parents who are bringing the children to Jesus for him to have an influence on, the, the disciples go, uh, not quite today. Not right now. Uh, maybe a little bit later, right? That's sort of their, their deal. Not because I don't think they, they don't value children, but because they're trying to protect Jesus. And track with me a little bit on this. Um, I, I think that we often do the same thing in the church. That, that as his disciples, right, as the people that have been passed on the message of Jesus, when we think about children, we think about them in the same way that disciples often do. Uh, we have a children's table and we say, no, church is not for you. You need to go to the kids' table, right? Uh, we're serving the main course up here. You guys get the, the kids' meal down there. Uh, you get the bite-sized portion of what we're doing. You don't get the full extent. And we're going to sort of separate you and keep you to the side so that we can do real church in one place and kids' church in another place. And sometimes that's not because we don't value children. We just see them as differently, Right? We sort of think of them this way, and I think a lot of this has to do with the way that we interpret the role of children in our culture. We often think of children as what? The people of tomorrow, right? I mean, you hear that message constantly through TV and print ads and people that, that really value children, but they talk about them in a way that they're an investment for tomorrow. They're not valuable for today, right? They have future potential to give back into the system. But right now, they don't serve any real purpose other than to be people that, that take and take and take. And so if we give to them, if we invest enough in them, then later on, we'll sort of reap the benefits. But it's interesting because that's not the, the approach that Jesus takes. Uh, in verse 14, he says this. This is his response to the disciples. Jesus said, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Verse 15. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. There's a couple of key things here that I think Jesus demonstrates that if we're going to have a new mindset about how we approach children's ministry, if we're going to have a new thought process for the way that we relationally engage children, then we need to grab hold of sort of Jesus' approach and uh, relationship to children. Uh, the first thing he says is, let them come. Don't hinder them. In other words, they have a place before Jesus. Uh, and, and the disciples' response was, or their, their initial um, approach to children, was to keep them at bay, to keep them away from Jesus. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Let them come to me. And I, I, I think of it this way. Don't, don't only let them come but help them to me. Uh, it's not enough just to simply open the door and say, Jesus is that way, kids, go ahead, right? There's this idea that we are ushering them along with us. We're bringing them, we're taking them by the hand and showing them the place where Jesus is, introducing them to him, teaching them about him, teaching them how to live a life that's close to him. Uh, the second thing is that uh, he says, for the kingdom, and this is his reason that, that they have a place before him. It says, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Think about this. Children are the, the people of tomorrow in God's kingdom, right? Jesus says they belong. That's present tense. They belong today to such as these. 
So it doesn't matter who holds the keys. It doesn't matter who has the most influence. It doesn't matter who's on the most committees. When it comes down to it, in the, in the kingdom of heaven, in God's economy, children are the ones with the power. Children are the ones who have the place before Jesus because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them today. In other words, they're not the people of tomorrow. They're the people of today. So we need to stop thinking of them as people to invest in now for a future return. Although we try to instill certain things into them so that they'll be the people that God wants them to be someday. But they have value today. That's what Jesus is saying. The last thing that he does is that Jesus uh, gets up from that place after he had placed his hands on them and he went on from there. In other words, Jesus wasn't finished with his mission until he had placed his hands on the children. So it, it wasn't as if he could just teach and heal and be with the adults and then move on from there, right? That was the disciples' plan. Jesus' plan was different. Jesus said, no, I need to affect the children, and when I do, now my mission is complete and I can move on from here to there. It affects everyone. It's not just the... the the most of these, right? It's the least of these. Jesus even said, you need, you, talking to you adults, need to become like children in order to inherit the kingdom of God. They have value. They belong in the kingdom. They belong before Jesus. And Jesus isn't done until he affects their lives. And so for us, as we're thinking about children's ministry, I think uh, it takes a new mindset, right, for us. That, that we have this sort of choice. We can either think of them in terms of the discipleship's paradigm, or the, the disciples' paradigm, or in terms of Jesus's. Uh, it takes a change of heart. Uh, and I think, for me, that change is active. That change is occurring now. Um, but what I want you to do is sort of hear from Pam and how God has changed her heart on that very issue and how it will affect the way that we do children's ministry and affect families. Thanks, Jay. I didn't realize till this morning that our pulpit is gone. I guess I'm a little slow on the uptake. I also realized this morning that I didn't have to wear my cell phone because someone else wouldn't be calling me to say that they needed my help for other campus. I told Jay, why did I not know this? I've been having my phone on in case someone's going to call me. No one is going to call me, so we're good. Anyway, let me just grab this. And yes, I do not have shoes on. I was worried about matching this morning. I don't know why. I never worry about matching. And then this morning I thought I should wear black shoes because I had a black shirt. Anyway, my black shoes are horribly uncomfortable. So I said, Jay, can I just take my shoes off so I can just focus on what I'm saying? Because that's what I do with the kids anyway. My husband said to me, you work with the kids so you can have bare feet in the summer, don't you? Yes, I do. That's right. So I've always had bare feet. Anyway, um, thanks, Jay. I wanted to share with you, some of you, um, my name's Pam. I have the opportunity to serve here as the family ministry person on our launch team. I'm very excited about that and what God has for us, and I'm, I'm glad to have this chance this morning. Um, some of you don't know me, so I'm going to kind of share a couple of things with you this morning just to kind of fill in some of the picture and um, kind of catch you up on some of the things I've shared in the past about kids, because some of you have heard me talk about children before. Um, some of you don't know that I um, lived in Australia for a couple of years. I was married before, and um, my husband and I were part of a team of what was called Covenant Players. It was an international repertory theater company. We were sent as the national directors to Australia. We ran all of the operations out of Australasia. And I, um, 
actually thought at that point um, that I kind of had my life figured out. I knew who I was married to. I knew I didn't have children. And I kind of saw what was going to happen ahead of time in my life. I thought I had it all worked out. And um, we were involved in a church there that was actually a Brethren church. And if you know the Brethren church, you know that they have a number of children. Okay? In fact, one of the elders, I think, at last count, had 13 children. I think he's competing with the Duggars. I have to get in touch with him and see kind of how he's doing right now. But there's a lot of kids in this church. And um, I uh, was there, and I really looked forward to the teaching on Sunday mornings. I was really at a place where I needed to hear from God, so I really wanted to be able to concentrate. And in my mind, all those children were really in the way. Uh, they um, just made a lot of noise. We needed to move on to church till they could leave. We couldn't move into worship until they were gone because then we could get quiet before God. And um, so what I did is I made an appointment with my pastor and I asked him if uh, I could just talk to him because I had a question for him. And I was dead serious. He had five kids, and which was unfortunate because he looked at me like I had two heads. And I asked him, uh, are there churches without children? Because I figured, you know, there's all kinds of denominations, so God must make some church that doesn't have children because I can't be alone and not having kids. And, you know, I know I'm not the only one who feels this way, that they're in the way. And so, and he just kind of looked at me. I don't think he knew what to say. I don't think the question I asked him was what he was expecting either. So he really was kind of, wow, that's quite a question. And he said, um, no, Pam, I don't think they do. I, all right, well, I just wondered, you know. So the other thing that happened for me that was significant looking back is that a friend of mine named Rachel was, uh, just love her, good friend God gave me while I was there. And um, Rachel knew her Bible inside out and backwards. And um, every time that I would share, you know, I'm struggling with this, I feel like God's saying this to me, blah, 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 whatever, uh, she would say, oh, that's like Aminadab or Hubawaba or someone from the Old Testament. And I would think, how do you know that? And she'd turn to some obscure book that I didn't even realize was in there, and she'd say, like, and she would know all of the kind of spiritual significance of the story. And I was like, wow. So one day, and it was right around when I had to talk to our Pastor John about the children being in the way, um, I went back and said, Rachel, how do you know your Bible like that? Because I thought, I have to get that course, whatever it is. And she said, actually, I taught Sunday school for a long time. Oh, is there another way? Because I just... You know, and I remember standing there in the kids' wing, and I just looked at her. I thought, well, I don't want to do that. So anyway, so... That was where I was at then. And uh, anyway, three years later, I was um, separated from my husband. I was living in Canada, and I had actually been asked to um, serve part-time at the church as the uh, um, assistant for the pastor. And our Christian ed director had just stepped down. So Alan asked me, he had been, we were a cell church, so our small groups were cells, and he had just been to a big cell conference, he'd heard Ralph Neighbors and some other people speak, and he brought back this cassette tape series and asked if I would uh, listen to the series on children's role in the church and then share it with him, because he didn't have time to listen to these 11 cassettes. So I went home armed with this project, I can remember sitting down and um, actually, I found the notes over the past two weeks, so it was fun to go back and look and see what I listened to. But um, for me, it was a project, and I don't think I even realized at the time what was happening, but God took those tapes 
and my listening to them and really kind of being before him and making these notes for the pastor to take my heart and to turn it around. Because I, I listened to a quote like this. It says, when children come to the conclusion that church is boring and that God is irrelevant, that is the outcome of Satan's attack within the church, not outside the church. And it's talking about traditional churches, of course, not anyone like us. It says, in the church hierarchy, kids are often looked at as the lowest and that this is foreign to God. So what started to happen is every time we'd have a meeting, because I was in the meetings because I was Alan's assistant, and we'd be talking about things, I would start saying, well, what about the kids? Well, what are we going to do for the kids? Because I started to really believe that they mattered. And like what you're doing right now is working for the adults, but they're not going to understand that. So what are you going to do about... So I started asking these questions. And um, anyway, it was... Looking back, I think, God, you're amazing, because he took my heart, and he turned it around, and it sure wasn't what I expected. In fact, when I talked to my pastor, John, said, you will never guess what I do now. He laughed. He said, that is God, you know, because I was not there. So um, this, so my church in Canada, actually, we went before the Lord. We took a Saturday, and we really just waited on God to ask him what we should do with our children's ministry. And what God uncovered was a whole bunch of different attitudes, not just in me, and some of them were subtle they, they weren't mean-spirited. It's like Jay said, do you know, we just think that that's the kid's role. They should go there, you know. So um, we all just kind of went through what should the children's ministry look like, what kind of values should it have, and all of that. And uh, it was really the beginning of a metamorphosis of that church's children's ministry. And it's exciting today for me to go back and see kind of what's happening now. So... So there I was in Canada leading the children's ministry. Then I met Kurt online and um, actually came down here. He was involved. We, we actually, the time that we met was at a family conference because he worked with youth and I worked with children. So it was all kind of around family ministry and things. And um, then we served as youth directors at the church that he was connected with. And then we came to Discovery. And I was really excited because I felt like I knew God had called me into children's ministry. And I knew when I served at Discovery with the children that I was called to be there. There was no doubt in my mind. But what started to happen is that um, the same frustrations, because I don't want to make the church in Canada sound like it was all... You know, there was a lot, there was frustrations with running, you know, multiple children. There's probably 75 kids, you know, and we were growing from there. Um, but I, I was feeling some of the same frustrations that I had. And I, I had the opportunity to go twice to Willow Creek. First, when I first took over the ministry, and then a second time. And the second time I heard a man named Reggie Joyner speak. And when I heard him, I knew... I wrote felt, but I knew that I had the missing piece of the puzzle. And so I want to show you um, what was a, a kind of illustration that he used in this talk, because it's really significant in kind of where I think that we should head. Many of you have seen it before, but for those who haven't, Reggie spoke, if you've been to Willow Creek or... Um, you know that anything could happen. And when Reggie spoke, he sat with this... Um, this whole basket beside him of all these colored balls. And I sat there watching him thinking, it's not going to hit me with one of those. I'm going to be watching him. And I watched the whole time he spoke. But what happened was he talked about family ministry and children and parents and a lot of things about values. And he really had me listening to him. And then what he talked about was that 
um, or sorry, on a, on a signal, he had a number of people come from offstage with shopping carts filled with these balls. And what he used for the illustration was he talked about these Skittles represent the balls that he had in his holding shopping basket, and these Skittles represent the balls that were in the shopping carts that people brought on stage. And he asked us this question. He said, if these Skittles represent the number of waking hours that a child has, and these represent the number on Sunday when they go to church, approximately anywhere from 40 to 52 hours in a year, and these are the ones that they're with their parents, who do you think has the bigger influence? And I remember sitting there with Danielle Botbile and Heather Snoke, and I just sobbed because I just knew that's what's missing. We can provide pink elephants, circus treats, all of these wonderful things here, but that this is really needs our attention as well. And so it's not that this isn't important. In fact, if you look at the number of Skittles in here, this is very important, what we do here on Sunday morning. It's, we only have 40 or to 50 opportunities to be able to minister to the kids. But in terms of influence, what has the greater one? So thank you for those of you who had to sit through that again. But everyone says to me, are you getting rid of those Skittles now? So my son ate one, and they're really hard because they're about two years old. But... Um, <laughs> So we've looked at um, God's heart for kids. Jay um, told us, you know, about how Jesus felt about kids and the kingdom of God is for them. And if, if we want to lead our church God's way, I believe that we need to look at what his model is for the family. And these are the passages of scripture that Reggie had taken us through that day. It's in Deuteronomy 6. So in this history um, of what's happening in, in Deuteronomy is they are about to enter the promised land. And you can actually put the next slide up there, Kyle. Sorry, I think I boxed this wrong. Um, he's speaking to all of the Israelites as they're poised, ready to go into the promised land. And he says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. So he wasn't just speaking to them. It was about the future generations beyond them, your children and the children after them. So we'll jump forward a couple of verses. And you'll recognize this, um, this verse. It's from, Jesus quotes it as well in Matthew when he talks about um, what's the most important commandment. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So he doesn't just talk about a number of different rules that you need to follow or something that you need to go and attend on Sunday. What he says is these commands, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, are something that are supposed to be on your hearts. And then he goes on specifically to identify how they are to do it. And he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
And so the way that they're to do it is to impress them. And if I was thinking about Play-Doh and wanting to impress something into it, and I was thinking about pressure, and then I thought about the question, I wonder what I impress on Robert when there's pressure, you know? Hmm. So I was thinking about that whole word impress. But I, I think about, you know, that continual soft pressure. Um, we don't teach our kids to say please or thank you in one round. It's over and over repetition. Do you know? We just keep saying the same thing. So here we are. We are cultivate. We're at the beginning of a new church. And everything in me believes that the right way to go to lead our kids is keyed with that missing piece. Is that the family needs to be attended to within the vision of the church. So let me ask you a question. What is it that we, not thinking specifically about kids, but what do we want to cultivate? What are the things that we want to cultivate? You can shout them out. Vegetables. Vegetables. Okay. Any others? (laughs) Community. That's one I hear a lot. Other things? Love. Okay. Sorry? Family. Family. Okay. Relationships, okay? Christlikeness. Yeah, there's a lot of different things, you know. And um, last week, Jay spoke from Acts 2, and he broke it down like this. And if we ask the question, what are we cultivating? We are, want to cultivate seeking God, loving people, following Christ, and influencing our neighbors. So, let me ask you a question. When we're cultivating, when do we start? When do we start that cultivating? Now? Okay. So what if somebody walks in the door and they're visiting us, kind of getting to know us, when do we start? Three weeks after they get here? We can let them have two weeks and then we pounce on them? No, I'm kidding. Okay. We... I mean, it seems like a silly question, but right away, we're communicating what we're about by what we say, and even more importantly, by what we do. So, considering what God's heart is for the kids, let me ask you the question, when do we start? Is it when they come upstairs? Is it when they hit a certain age? It needs to start right away. So let me propose this to you. When we think about, and Jay came over to my house and I had all these papers kind of spread out because I had been starting to think and I was asking myself questions and really thinking about, okay, what is it that we want to cultivate here? So what I'm thinking is that our all things new concept for the children and youth and families, it has to work like this. We have to all be lined up in the same direction that we're all aligned toward exactly the same goal. So that when a new person or a family walks in the door, right from day one, we're all encouraged to go in the same direction. So it's exactly the same for the kids and the youth and the adults. And so it might look different. They might go in a different room but that we all are heading in the same direction. I thought after I did this that I actually should put an arrow after adults because it's not like you're done, right? You're not fully cooked. You need to kind of keep moving forward. So, um, so the kids, it, it, it's true for Lily 
It's true for Caleb, who are babies, who are growing up into this. And we took some pictures. John was down with the kids last week. And um, can you see their faces? They're great. So, um, so our ministry to children, this is what I want to think about. It's not so much information. A lot of times we think about our ministry as being, what is it that we want to teach them? Like we want to know that they know all their Bible stories, okay? Those aren't bad things, that they know how to look up things in their Bible. That information is important, but it's not just that. And it's not just our values, like it's relevant and it's fun, although those things are very, very important. But I believe what matters in our children's ministry is that we're headed somewhere, and we're headed somewhere together, and that it's strategic. Everything we do. So the kids are having fifth Sunday fun this morning. Right now they're playing video games. They probably think that they've died and gone to heaven, okay? They're watching a video. They're having a great time, okay? But the idea of that this morning is so that we would be able to have all of the youth with our youth so that all of the adults could be here so that we listen. So even on a day of, quote, fun, we're being strategic in terms of our planning. So, as a church, I think there's another picture of the kids that they wanted you to take. Did we get a second one there, Kyle? Oh, you showed it first. Oh, that was the, okay. This is the one that they wanted, and the other one is the one that John Idler wanted. Okay, just so that you know, okay? All right? (laughs) So, with the kids... If we're lining the children and our youth up together with the adults, all headed the same direction, we've got all four of those directions, right? Now think about the whole church. It's just Sunday morning, right? That's all we want is people to be headed that direction on Sunday morning? No? All the time? Okay. Okay, so... Track with me a little bit here because you're kind of going on this paper trail that I had on on the the page. If we think about the goals that we have for the adults as they come into Cultivate, and our plan is that we're engaging people in smaller communities, how do we do that for kids? Do we have life groups for them? At what age do we consider life groups being of value? Because I think that's an important question to decide, okay, when, when do they go into that model? Is it not till they're 21, then they can join a life group? Because I know Jen's kind of looking at the whole life group piece as we launch. But that's an important question for us, is how do we identify that? Because if that's the goal that we have for everyone here, then it should be the goal for everyone. But I want you to think of those Skittles for a minute, and that's why I brought the old Skittles in. Let me suggest to you that... For a child, and I'm talking 10, 12, and under, their family is their life group. Okay? So think to the Deuteronomy 6 passage, and I'm really going to ask you when we go away today to, um, to be thinking about these things. Do you know? Because it's important if we are the core church as we move forward, it's important that we allow the Lord the opportunity to have all of us be on the same page with the same seeds in our hearts moving forward for kids and families. Because when I was in Australia, I didn't think the children mattered. So if you had stood up here and talked to me about children, I would have said, yeah, 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 I don't have any. But that was something that God wanted to change. So I'm going to just suggest to you that maybe 
we have attitudes in our heart that God wants to change. Because you have no idea what he has planned for you. Trust me. If I'd have thought I'd be standing here this morning, do what I'm doing, it's not at all what I thought was going to happen. But I wouldn't trade it for a million dollars. Okay. So if we look at that as life group, I want to ask the parents a question. And you don't have to ask, you don't have to answer this. If you are the primary influencer of your children, are you doing a good job? Are you equipped to succeed at that? Do you feel like you have the tools, the knowledge, the fill in the blank to be able to succeed at that? And if, if you were going to stand before God and say, okay, I'm the primary influencer of my children because I run their life group, I would rate myself like this, and here's why. Now, for many people, what they've been taught is, I take my child to church. The professional at church knows how to do it because I don't know how really myself. And so I'm going to take them to what I think is best. Go in there and go and see Jesus because then we'll all have what we need. We know that that's the key. And so it really comes back to sometimes we feel like, I don't know if I know how to do this. And so we take the kids and we drop them off because we think that's the right thing to do. So I want you to think about this. If you came to cultivate, you heard the word of God, you were here for the whole vision thing, and you're thinking, yeah, I want to join this church. This is great. And then you went to a life group, and they were playing poker, playing, you know, whatever. They were doing this, they were doing that. And as you got to know the people, you learned that the real goals in their life were power, money, all of those things what would you think about the message that you heard here on Sunday morning? Would you believe it still? What, what words come to mind? Sorry? Hypocritical. Okay. So, this is, and I, this is, I heard a quote this week that was good. If I'm stomping on toes, I cannot apologize because I've stomped all over my own in the process. Okay? I'm a parent now. Okay? But when I bring Robert to hear this, or Zach here, and say this, and then we go live differently at home, or if you don't hear about Jesus again unless you drop something, or whatever, <laughs> until next week, what does that say to our children? You know, one of the saddest things that I found out recently, who knows who Katy Perry is? She grew up singing in her choir at church, gospel music. And I think, why are our kids walking away from the kingdom of God and the love and power that he has? And I, I don't know. I look at this, and I think, can I make a difference? Actually, when I looked at this this week, I thought it's kind of like mustard seeds, isn't it? You know? So I believe that our greatest opportunity and our greatest challenge to be used as a church here in Voorhees as we go forward is to partner with families, to get with them and strategically work together on a common goal. Now, 
I think I, we have to have a common goal because we're all going to be headed different directions. And I think Jay said a few times recently, we know what to say no to if we know where we're headed. But let me suggest to you that we need to have an eternal goal. We need to think beyond here and now. Let me ask you a question, parents. What's your 100-year goal for your kids? I think, well, that's a dumb question. They're all going to be dead. <laughs> okay. But if my child is called by God to be Billy Graham, whatever, what's my goal for their life? Is that it matters. I got this book in the mail, and I didn't know why. I guess... I don't know. I must have ordered it. But I read it and it was wonderful. And I want to just read something. It's called The God of Second Chances. It's my life. Um, And it's written by uh, Steve Arterburn. And it's basically the story of his kind of testimony from New Life Ministries. And they do a lot of recovery work and um, healing for people, counseling situations and things. But he says... um, Recently, I spoke at a church near Newark, New Jersey, on the concept of reproducing our sins in our children. Do you ever see your kid go like this and say something you say, and you think, oh my gosh, I say that. A man came up to me afterward deeply troubled. When he heard that the sins of the father could be passed on to the children, he was racked with guilt and fear because his past was so full of wrongdoing and rebellion. His father had been quite a sinner, and many of the things this man had done were represent were, sorry, repetitions of his father's rebellion. As I talked to him, though, I found one critical difference between his father and himself. He was remorseful about his sin, and his father never had been. I told him that because of his repentant heart, he had an opportunity to be part of a transitional generation in his family. That is, he could be the one to break the chain of sin that had been passed down from generation to generation. He could accept Christ's free gift of healing and pass it on to his children. And you know, I wrote that phrase in my journal. Being a transitional generation in his family. And I thought, you know what? As a mom, that's what I want for both my boys. I want this generation to be the first generation of future generations that love and serve God and walk with him and don't walk through a lot of the crap that I had to learn the hard way. And you know what? It's going to take God because I need second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth. I need, you know, thank God for the size of his grace. And I believe that God has given us the same opportunity to be a transitional generation here. And that's huge. If you look at what God wants to do beyond this generation. So now to cultivate in our plan. So we're looking to function as a place where the hungry can be fed, right? But I don't think it's a coincidence when I consider families or anyone for that matter that we're looking at planting a garden because what's the difference between a box of craft dinner and something from the garden what's the difference nutritious okay health 
Okay? You can be fed and you won't be hungry anymore. Or you can be fed and fed health to your bones. So I don't believe that God has just called us as a church to feed people, but to bring health. And that's what my vision is for the kids and the families of this church. Not to just get them here so that we can feed them, or even to get their parents into life group. But the goal is to feed and nurture the family to good health, as God intends them. So, and even though we help feed them, we provide the skills, the knowledge, the training, and the support for them to walk in health, our goal is not to have them depend on us. But what we want to do is to cultivate healthy families who are independent and self-sustaining so that they can influence people around them. And that's what will take us from today and into the future generations, is that we will truly become a transitional generation. And so our mission statement is the same. We're growing communities. There's our community rooted in Christ, that produces fruit for the good of the garden state and the world. Now Jay mentioned one of the things that we're cultivating is big ideas. And so this is a big idea, isn't it? To really, we're not just talking about an hour Sunday program. We're talking about cultivating future generations. Now our kids' missional communities just look different. There's our missional community. Okay? Now, I asked you the question, when do the missional communities change and you have a group of youth together or you have a group of adults together as their picture of their life group? So we need to look at that and determine that. But the thing is that we're growing in the same direction and we're actually growing into the same plant. So, where are we right now? Sounds like a pretty big dream, doesn't it? And I think, how are we going to get there? So, in phase one, which is where we are as a church right now, our target date is April 3rd. And so this is what I'm working on right now, and I have been building the team of people who are working with me. And so we're establishing the philosophy and the strategy for our ministry. We're putting into place Sunday morning ministry for kids through grade six. And we're beginning to build the team that will work with this. And we're getting ready for Easter. Now, we don't have our logo done, but we have goals for each of the three groups that we've identified. So we have the three age groups. We have seedlings, which is infants. Sprouts, which are preschool and right now include kindergarten. And then we have buds and blossoms. So we have buds because that's the boys and the blossoms because that's the girls. And then we stop with the silly garden names because once you're in grade three, everybody knows that you start to know everything about January and you don't need to be a bud and blossom anymore. Thank you very much. So, okay. All right. So um, I'm working on determining if you're going to look at the kids growing from kids to adults, or sorry, kids to youth to adults, I think they go from kids to adults, right? Kids to youth to adults, what is it that needs to be kind of built in, if you will, as we go? What is the foundation that's most important? 
and for our seedlings and sprouts. In the curriculum that we have and where we're headed, we've determined that there's three things that we want kids to know by the time that they're five years old. And that's God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my friend forever. Our curriculum has each of the age groups, from toddlers, two years old, three years old, and four, five, and up to six years old, week after week, month after month, it builds on a concept that all go back to those three things. So that when the kid comes out of kindergarten, they're like, I know that I was made by God. And if you think about that, that goes to a biblical worldview because it goes back to being created. So you look at what you're building in is very, very intentional, but they know that God loves them. Consider how our generations would be different if every one of us knew that God loved us and we had value in him by the time we were five years old. Do you think it would change how you act when you're 14, when you're trying to work out who you are? You already know deep in your heart. And so you look at the foundational pieces that need to happen. So then our buds and blossoms, which is our grade one to three, We're looking at the very verse that Jesus spoke about our greatest commandment, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that actually is the four-arrow direction. That's the inward-outward model that that, um, Jay had used as he taught about that. And so what we're doing is we're teaching into each of the values. So people have asked me, does this mean that this is where our um, ministry to kids end? And the answer is no. Our children's ministry name, if you will, is under construction there because we're still kind of working that out, which is part of the team's focus. And if you think back to the teaching that Jay has done in this, is that he brought us to the, to the verse in John that says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so... What we kind of agreed as we looked through this is that really, by the time a child enters grade four to grade six, the seeds for all of that should actually be planted. So they're kind of like branches in training. Does that sort of? But I don't know. I threw it out to Robert this morning. I said, talk about it, work out what you are. He goes, we get to pick the name. I said, well, you guys can talk about it. So I don't don't know. You can't be branches. It doesn't sound very attractive. Do you know? So... So, really, this is um, kind of where we're at with looking with the philosophy and strategy. But the other important piece that I need to show you is that we've started building the parents piece that goes with this. Now, we talked about the verse in... in, Deuteronomy talks about to talk about it when you walk along the road, when you lay down, when you rise up. All right, what it does with our youngest kids is it identifies four key times in a day that you are with the child. And it gives you cues to be able to follow. So in bath time, this month in January, the focus is I am special. And that's what the kids work on for four weeks in a row. So the thing that we send home with the parents says, when you are, you know, giving them a bath, you can talk about, look at your feet. Look at those feet that God made. They're special. Do you know? So that we're reinforcing the same thing. And I know as a parent, I want to be that influencer of my children, but I need a cue sometimes. I need to know what to say when and things. The car time, there's a, there's a, 
song that the kids learn once a month, and each month when the focus changes, they have a song. So we're all going to be singing the same songs, okay? Actually, in our cars, because as soon as you listen to these songs once, then you start singing, singing them, and then you're like, you know. But it's wonderful, because how many of us, you get a song in your head, and it won't go away. But you know, when a song talks about how special you are to God, it's great. So we're going to start working on these things with the seedlings and sprouts, but it'll continue. And it also gives them a short memory verse that they're learning. All right, so what's ahead? We need to work on the Buds and Blossoms curriculum. I've got a question out right now to um, the people actually who write the younger curriculum um, to find out if we can use some of that right away. We need to look at what are we going to do with our middle school kids on Sunday morning and be nice, okay? I saw Eddie go, we're going to do something to those kids. <laughs> so, um, but we need to be thinking about what's important for them on Sunday morning in that time. We need to look at our youth plans. We need to look at our, our um, life groups. Are our youth going to be in life groups? At what point? What's going to happen with that? And we're looking at developing our family equipping and the resources that are available. There's links. There's all kinds of different things that we can provide that are tools. And then I think also, you know, when I look at where the rest of the church is, and as we're looking ahead to say, okay, what are we going to do specifically, we don't know if we know. We've got a lot of different ideas. We see a lot of needs. There's a lot of things that we're, that we're looking at that are kind of up in the air, but we're trusting that God will provide what we need when we get to them. So I think that as we move ahead and as we dialogue about, okay, this is something that I, I need as a parent that would be helpful to me. I need this resource or whatever. And as people come to us and as we seek to provide learning opportunities or tools that people need, I think God is going to lead us exactly into what he has for our church and our children's ministry and our youth and all of that. Because... The kingdom of heaven belongs to them, and to, to the Lord, the children are the least of these. And he will take care of them, really sometimes in spite of us, when we don't. And so, here's where my mind and my heart are going right now, is that I'm hoping that all of you will walk away from this morning and, see, and consider how important it is for us to have the heart of God for our kids, whether we're involved in the ministry or not, whether we are helping, whether we have children, whatever, it matters how we view the children because we are all stewards of the least of these among us. We are their family on Sunday, and so it matters how we feel. And so I'm hoping that we'll all walk away, that we'll take a look and say, God, are there attitudes in my heart that you want to change? That you'll allow him to take you to where you didn't know where you were going to go. Because I think that there's something powerful in that. If we allow God to work through us and in us when we're not necessarily in control of where we're headed. And I want the children's ministry here and our family ministry to be everything God dreamed of, not what we dreamed of. I want it more than I could ask or imagine. And I believe that he's leading us into that. When I look back, I, you know, the times when I felt like, God, what are you doing? I feel like I have this key, and why? It just seems all wasted. You know, as we roll through these weeks, 
you know, having Jay come up and talk about the value of the children and all of that, do you know, those are all key pieces to positioning us to move into everything that is a dream ahead. So I hope that you'll go before the Lord this week. That even now in this response time as we stop and we pray, that you start to ask the question, God, is there something that you want to change? And that as our hearts change, that then we'll see born out of that the fruit that is the ministry of people involved with the kids and things, you know? Um, Who knows who of you he wants to use here? Only he does. And so I'm excited because I, working with the children has been, I, I can't even put into words to you what it has meant to me in my life. And I just, and it's not at all what I thought that day when I went to talk to the pastor. So let's position ourselves before God with our children, our youth, and as parents, you know, God will give you what you need. He just loves you so much, and he loves his kids so much. Do you know? And all we have to do is walk home and live our lives according to what we believe. And when we blow it, just say, you know what? I blew it. It's okay. You know? He's going to take us into the future. So let's bow our heads. Lord, you're an awesome God. And I thank you for the opportunity that you've given this morning, Lord, for us to stop and consider what you think about the children and the youth of our church and what you want to do in our families, in our homes, and then what you want to do beyond that in us and through us. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here that each one of us, and for myself, Lord, that we be willing to stop before you and to consider what it is that you have for us, how you want to change us, and then, Lord, that we'd walk into all that you have. And I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would make us a transitional generation here in Voorhees and beyond, that people would come to know you and to love you, and, Lord, that families would be healed, drawn close to you, so that, Lord, a hundred years from now, things are different. I thank you, Lord, that you have plans for us to give us a future and a hope and that we can trust you. And I ask, Lord, that as we as we respond now to you, Lord, as we sing to you, God, I, I ask, Lord, that you would be continuing the work that you've promised that you'll do. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.